I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They needed to put her on the machine because she wasn't doing enough breathing on her own. Nature's deadliest organisms. It looked like it was dying before my eyes. They can hijack our bodies. It was the most excruciating pain. Disable our immune systems. The disease is almost always fatal. And eat us from within. Something was eating away at my child, and I had no power to stop it. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Chelsea Ann McKinney is a stay-at-home mom in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She has two children, 8-year-old Kiona and 14-year-old Matthew. He was doing very well in school. He was A-B honor roll in middle school. And outside of school, he was a member of the Boy Scouts. He was a good kid. I was very proud of Matthew. Matthew is particularly close to his grandfather, Alfred. He was very cheerful, happy, and very intelligent. He liked sports, and he liked swimming. I was a lifeguard when I was young, and uh, I taught my children how to swim. I call him my little fish. Having completed the eighth grade, Matthew has a whole summer in the water ahead of him. Little does he know of the danger that lies in wait. It was a very hot day, and the children loved to be out of school. We went to the lake with my neighbor's children. Matthew, with a few other teenage boys, were diving down, playing in the mud and playing in the water. They were having a lot of fun. They were having a blast. After the day at the lake, Matthew heads to bed early. But that night, something startles Chelsea Ann. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, Matthew woke me up from his room. He was calling out to me that he didn't feel well and he felt hot. He was really complaining that his nose was hurting at that point. I looked inside Matthew's nose and I didn't see anything unusual. He did feel hot and so I got the thermometer. His temperature was 103.6 and I was very worried. Usually they don't get fevers that high. Chelsea Ann bundles Matthew and his sister into the car, and they hurry to the local hospital. They checked his blood pressure, and they checked his temperature, and they looked inside his nose with the light. They told us they didn't see anything in there, just some swelling, like sinus tissue swelling. The doctors seemed to think that the problem with Matthew was that he had sinusitis. Sinusitis is an infection that fills the nasal cavities with mucus. The symptoms include pressure-like pain and fever. The doctors didn't seem concerned at all, like this was just a standard case of a sick child. Give him antibiotics and send him home. For the next three days, Matthew's summer break is put on hold. 
Chelsea Ann stays home and waits for him to recover. Matthew was very tired and sick, and he just couldn't do anything. He laid on the couch, and he had his fever, and he was irritated that he wasn't feeling well. I was trying to make him as comfortable as possible. Anything I could do as a mother. But as she cares for her son, Chelsea Ann notices a new cause for concern. His nose and his left eye looked swollen, puffy, not normal at all. I wasn't sure what was happening, what was making his face swell. The swelling continues. And two days later, Matthew tells Chelsea Ann of an alarming new sensation. He was rubbing his tongue across his teeth, and he says, Mom, Mom, my teeth are moving. I looked at him, what? I didn't believe him at first. I thought maybe he was delirious from the fever. He says, but I can feel it. He kept rubbing his tongue across his teeth. He says, my teeth are moving, my teeth are moving. I was really scared. Chelsea Ann immediately rushes Matthew back to the ER. The ENT doctor still seemed to think it was sinusitis, and they tried to drain his sinuses. The doctor takes Matthew to an exam room, where he feeds a thin probe up his nose to the sinus cavities. When they tried to drain it, it was completely dry. There was nothing in his sinuses at all. Doctors admit Matthew to the hospital for further testing. As Chelsea Ann waits with him in the ward, she can now see serious swelling in his gums. I could see by then his teeth were starting to shift. His tooth was out of line and pointing almost sideways. To see a tooth move like that was very strange and concerning. Doctors focused their tests on Matthew's mouth. They took him up to the dental area of the hospital and took x-rays of his teeth. And afterwards, when the dentist was looking at Matthew, he wiggled the tooth and it just fell out into the dentist's hand. And there was pus everywhere. And he was completely confused because he saw nothing wrong with the tooth itself. He just looked awful. Face looked like he'd been beat up, swollen, and it was very devastating. Those doctors were so confused. They didn't know what they were dealing with at all. All I could do was sit there and watch him cry. Desperate to discover what's destroying Matthew's face, doctors take a biopsy from the roof of his mouth. They took a sample of the gum tissue. He was just screaming in so much pain. I had to leave the room because I couldn't sit there. I couldn't sit there helpless and not be able to do anything for him. The doctors send the tissue away for testing. But as Chelsea Ann waits for a new diagnosis, her helplessness turns to terror. I saw little black spots around his left nostril in the swelling tissue. At first, I wasn't sure what I was looking at, but after about an hour or so, it got more dense, more spots, and it was growing. I knew it was dying flesh, and I was scared to death. 
It was just awful. Now, I've seen death in Vietnam, but this is my grandson we're talking about, and, 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 and it looked like he was dying before my eyes. Something was eating away at my child, and I had no power to stop it. The dying flesh forces the doctors to take a drastic step. At midnight, a medevac helicopter flies him to a specialist unit 50 miles away at Chapel Hill. Dr. William Shockley is part of the medical team that assesses the boy's condition. Matthew was extremely ill. He had a high fever. His pulse rate was very rapid. His way of thinking was affected. It was a manifestation of what we would consider septic shock. And so he could die of the infection. This is the type of infection that not only requires big gun antibiotics, but also surgery. The surgeon told us that this was a life or death situation. If we don't do surgery on him right now, he could die on us any minute. And at that point, I lost it. I couldn't take it anymore. In North Carolina, Chelsea Ann McKinney watches helplessly as the skin on her son's face bloats and turns black. Something was eating away at my child, and I had no power to stop it. To slow the spread of the infection, the surgical team slices the dead tissue from Matthew's nose, gums, and palate. We keep cutting out the dead tissue until we get to tissue that begins to bleed. Once we see bleeding, we know that tissue is probably not seriously infected. The surgeons strip away a mass of decayed flesh from the teenager's face. They had gauze across the left side of his face, his nose, so it was hard to see what they had cut off on his nose. And he had five teeth missing. Not one, not two, five teeth were gone. When Matthew came out of the surgery, he was not out of the woods. We would have to find the specific bacteria that was the source for this. We all felt that it was very likely to be a flesh-eating bacteria. To have a chance of killing the bacteria that is eating Matthew alive, the doctors need to know exactly which species it is. Infectious disease expert Dr. Tom Bellhorn takes on the case. The infection was spreading so quickly beyond just a skin infection. He had evidence that it was already down in his lungs, and there was concern that it might have also entered the brain. Finally, test results from Matthew's local hospital come through. We received a call saying that they had identified a certain type of bacteria that was in his tissues. It was something called Chromobacterium violaceum. Chromobacterium violaceum is a microbe that scavenges for food in tropical and subtropical environments. When the bacteria infected Matthew's nose, it targeted the soft flesh below the skin. Here, they breed, spread, and release chemicals that poison the boy's cells. Matthew's flesh swells with pus, forcing the teeth from his gums. The skin on his nose turns black as it dies. Chromobacterium infections are very rare, but when they occur, they're often deadly. 
Since the bacteria was first discovered in 1927, there have been fewer than 150 cases worldwide, but more than half of those have been fatal. As soon as we knew it was Chromobacterium, we knew this was going to be a tough battle. This is extremely rare. When I found out that this was a flesh-eating bacteria, I was confused. I had never heard of such a thing before. Why this rare killer has infected Matthew is a mystery. The doctors were asking us what was different about his schedule. What was he doing that was different? Where was he? Chromobacterium has been found in lakes across the southeastern states. Hearing this, Chelsea Ann recalls the trip to the lake the day before the illness began. This was the first time we'd ever been to the lake, and they were playing in the mud, not just the water, but in the mud. He probably came in contact with Chromobacterium, doing these things with the lake bottom. It probably gained entry into his nose just by a scrape, and that's what started off this process. That scrape was the open door the aquatic bacteria needed. But it's not the only reason why Matthew became infected. This bacteria does not usually cause infection in humans, and so there was great concerns that he did not have a normal immune system. Dr. Bellhorn orders blood tests. The results confirm that Matthew has a weakened immune system. We found out that Matthew had a diagnosis of chronic granulomas disease. Someone with this type of immune deficiency, they're just unable to kill this bacteria. That's why it attacked him, and it didn't attack my daughter, and it didn't attack any of his friends or anybody else at the lake. To save Matthew's life, Dr. Bellhorn gives him a precisely targeted cocktail of intravenous antibiotics. Slowly, the drugs turn the tide on the flesh-eating bacteria. Matthew's vitals improve. After four days at Chapel Hill, doctors tell Chelsea Ann that her son is going to survive. It was a huge sigh of relief, just a big cleansing breath of ease and prayers had been answered. A week later, Matthew is released from the hospital. The antibiotics have destroyed the chromobacteria, but the microbes have left a permanent mark. I remember dreaming about them saying they're going to cut my nose off, and then woke up and they told me that they actually were trying to, so I knew it wasn't a dream. Two years later, after the near-fatal infection, Matthew was a long way down the road to recovery. Matthew's had five reconstructive surgeries. Four of them have been on his nose, where they took the skin of his forehead and left it attached, twisted it around, reattached it to create a nostril. Everything sunk in when I got home. I'm too young to die. Um, I have a lot of things I want to do. People with compromised immune systems are especially vulnerable to these bacteria and should take special precautions. Avoid unchlorinated fresh water and damp soils, especially in tropical and subtropical climates. I am one of the most fortunate, blessed mothers on the planet because my child is still here. And he should have, he should have died.
I started to think she was crazy. I thought it was all in her head. I was so sick of fighting with the doctors and so sick of fighting with my body. I couldn't believe it. I was disgusted. I didn't want to live anymore. Catherine and John Gordon are newlyweds living in Atlanta, Georgia. John owns a string of local bars and is starting law school. Catherine is a successful model and actress. I started off um, doing bikini modeling and then went into acting, doing commercials. What appealed to me about Catherine, uh, it was at first her looks, but also it was her energy, her enthusiasm, her zest for life. I like to say I kissed a lot of frogs before I met my prince. It had all happened so fast. We were engaged within eight months of meeting each other. It wasn't planned, but Catherine and I got pregnant pretty quickly after we got married. Just one year after the wedding, Catherine gives birth to their first daughter, Jade. In the very beginning, I thought it was going okay, but things quickly went wrong. It was so painful when I was breastfeeding that I sometimes would cry. It hurt so bad. But I didn't know that it was supposed to be any other way. For almost a month, Catherine struggles through the pain. One afternoon, I was breastfeeding my daughter, and I look down, and I see blood on me, and then I look, and I see that her mouth has blood on it. And that really scared me. Catherine Gordon's painful first weeks of breastfeeding have culminated in a moment of pure horror. And I see that her mouth has blood on it. And that really scared me. Catherine books an appointment with her doctor. I was still seeing my OB since I had just had my daughter. So I showed her my chest. She took a look at me and confirmed that I did, in fact, have mastitis. Mastitis is caused by an infection in the breast tissue, usually by a common bacteria. As the tissue becomes inflamed, it presses on the milk ducts, causing pain and discharge. She gave me an antibiotic to treat the infection. She didn't seem particularly concerned. Uh, it's something that she saw a lot of, you know, with new moms breastfeeding their babies. Catherine follows the doctor's guidance carefully. The mastitis cleared up fairly easy, um, you know, like they said it would, but I just never got my energy back. I started to feel like I had low-grade fevers and I would get very bad headaches. She started saying she wasn't feeling well. She felt depressed, a lack of energy. She didn't feel like herself. At the gym, Catherine is shocked by another strange sensation. I was on the treadmill and I felt uh, tingling in my legs and then a throbbing, aching pain down my left arm. I could feel it in my elbow. It was very painful. And I could feel a heaviness in my chest where it actually felt scratchy, like itchy. I'd actually bang my chest, trying to almost itch it from the inside. 
I just could not figure out what was going on with me. Once again, Catherine turns to her primary care doctor. I said, you know, I'm having pain and numbness in my arms and legs. I'm having uh, fatigue. She told me I had fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia sufferers often experience burning pain, aching in the joints, and numbness. Its precise cause is unknown, but it has been linked to anxiety and depression. I felt like she wasn't really listening to me and listening to what my symptoms were. She prescribed me something to alleviate the pain, like a prescription strength ibuprofen. But she said there is no cure for fibromyalgia. Months drag by. Catherine's mysterious symptoms persist, tearing apart her health and her family. I started to think she was crazy. I thought it was all in her head. I thought she had these minor symptoms and that she was blowing them up to be something bigger than it was. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One evening in particular, he got home late. He had been studying in a study group for a test. The house was a mess, and there was no dinner. It erupted into a big fight. He said, you've gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, Catherine, and they keep telling you there's nothing wrong with you. I had so many of my own challenges and responsibilities. I was just starting law school. I had the business, just being married, new kid. And I said, I can't help you right now. You need to handle this. You need to suck it up. Suck it up. That was a big turning point for me because I had already had some of my doctors kind of insinuate that I might be going crazy. But now I had lost the support of my husband completely. I felt hopeless. I felt so alone. 11 months of relentless pain, struggle, and doubt are taking a brutal toll. I was so sick of fighting with my husband, and so sick of fighting with the doctors, and so sick of fighting with my body that I didn't want to live anymore. I decided that I was going to go to bed that night, and when I woke up in the morning, I was going to take all these pills and end it. I was going to, you know, take my life. After months of crippling pain, Catherine Gordon's doctors still cannot cure her mysterious illness. Even her husband doubts her symptoms. I had lost my will to live. I was going to take all these pills and end it. I went to sleep, and that night I had a dream. And, and I heard a voice. I mean, it was just so real that said, 
It's your implants, and you need to get them out. 11 years earlier, at the start of her modeling career, Catherine had breast enhancement surgery. Being a bikini model, your figure was everything. And so I went from a 34B to a 34D because it helped my modeling career at the time. When I heard that voice, I knew it was real. Someone might say, you know, maybe it was just your body talking to you. But I believe it was God talking to me. That morning, Catherine contacts Dr. Susan Kolb, a local plastic surgeon. She called and said that she was having symptoms of fibromyalgia, uh, symptoms of neurological problems. She immediately knew what I was talking about and then even brought up a symptom that I hadn't mentioned, which was the pain down my arm. The problems that Catherine had were very typical of other patients having severe problems with their breast implants. To find out if Catherine's implants could have been making her ill, Dr. Kolb must physically inspect them. 72 hours later, she wheels Catherine into surgery. We put her to sleep on the table, and then we make an incision just above the crease of the breast, and we go to the scar tissue around the implant. Then we opened it up and took the implant out. I remember waking up to Dr. Kolb standing by my side saying, Catherine, Catherine, you're not gonna believe this. Both of your implants were black. Couldn't believe it. I was disgusted. And then I understood, I understood how they could have been making her sick. And the fact that I did not believe Catherine, that I doubted her, that I thought this was in her head, I felt horrible. When I saw Catherine's implant, I knew that the implant was making her extremely ill. It was black with particles floating in it. Catherine's implants are made up of a silicone sac that should be filled with a clear saline fluid. Whatever is floating inside that dark liquid has been poisoning Catherine for months. The implant was sent to an expert that was able to show the presence of microorganisms. The major fungus found inside her implants was Aspergillus niger. The spores of Aspergillus niger have somehow penetrated Catherine's implants and started breeding in the liquid saline filling. As the colonies grow, they release toxins that poison Catherine's body. I had never heard of infected implants before. It is really disgusting and very creepy to think that there was a black fungus in my body, the deadly fungus that really should have killed me. But how did the fungus find a way to get inside her implants in the first place? Catherine developed an infection while she was breastfeeding, and her doctors placed her on antibiotics, which was appropriate. However, when you're on prolonged antibiotics, you can get mold and fungal infections, which is what happened to Catherine. They should have also placed her on antifungals. The fungus was allowed into the implant by a faulty valve, most likely. 
A tiny gap opened by a slight loosening of the valve seal could be all the fungus needed to get into the implants. With the implants removed and the fungus identified, Dr. Kolb puts Catherine on a rigorous course of the antifungal medication fluconazole. It was really tough. I mean, it took a good month, month and a half before I felt normal. 13 years later, Catherine has no major after effects from her rare crippling infection. Thank God, my health is great. It's excellent. I exercise, I play tennis, I run my kids around. I live a very happy, healthy life. I feel really horrible about the kind of husband I was, that I was not there for her, that I doubted her. It's a great regret that I have in my life. But also, I know I've become a much better husband. Like any artificial device inside the body, breast implants potentially carry some risk of becoming contaminated. It's recommended that women with implants experiencing any breast-related symptom consult with their doctors or surgeons for a routine checkup. Some doctors even recommend replacing breast implants every 10 years. It was almost impossible for me to breathe. Her risk of dying was close to 90%. We were running out of time. They needed to put her on the uh, machine because she wasn't breathing on her own. Sarah Kramer is a 19-year-old undergrad at Eau Claire, Wisconsin. She and her close friend Rachel have just started their second semester. I was taking biology, psychology, English, and math. And I liked biology because we were outside a lot for that class doing experiments. And that was kind of like the only class we actually got to be outside. We were going to Eau Claire together, and she definitely loved it there because she liked being independent. It's February. Sarah is spending time at home in Bloomington, Minnesota with her parents, Richard and Nancy. It was great to see her. She's our oldest, and we missed her quite a bit. It was, it was so much quieter around the home. It was really good to see my family and my friends because I hadn't been home for a while. So it was just nice to catch up with everybody. The time comes for Sarah to make the journey back to college in Eau Claire. But as she's leaving, something unexpected happens. I was standing down in my front entryway, and I was saying goodbye to my parents and my sister, and I just got really sharp chest pain. The pain was on the right side of my chest, and it was just, like, burning. It just took my breath away. I said that I felt like I was having a heart attack, which wasn't really funny, but, I mean, I didn't really know how else to describe it. It just hurt so bad. I really didn't think anything was going to come of it. I thought it would pass. I mean, I'm 19 years old. It's not like I'm really having a heart attack or anything. Rachel and her mother arrive. Sarah is catching a ride with them back to college. On that particular ride back, she was very quiet compared to her usual self. That's how I realized she was in a lot of pain. As the miles pass, Sarah feels another distressing symptom. Every time that I would take a breath in, it was like my lungs weren't able to expand enough to get the full breath that I needed. 
Like I had a really heavy weight on my chest. At the end, it was like unbearable. It hurt so much to breathe that she was holding her breath. The deeper the breath that I took, the more it would hurt. I would double over just because it hurt so bad. After two hellish hours, the friends reached the campus. I just wanted to go up in the dorm room and lay down. Rachel's mom opened the door for me, and I just kind of slumped back into the seat because it was, like, impossible for me to breathe at that point. I couldn't even get out of the car without collapsing. She had tears coming down her face because she was in so much pain. She needed help, obviously. The friends speed Sarah to the local hospital. There, medics take Sarah's vitals. They also take an X-ray and an ECG of her chest. The doctor said that I might have, like, serious diseases, maybe something wrong with my heart. He was telling me pretty much every worst-case scenario that was possible. I was just like, this can't be happening. After a two-hour wait, the doctor returns with the ECG. Instead of her heart, the problem is in Sarah's lungs. The doctor came back and told me that the test showed that I had walking pneumonia. Pneumonia is commonly caused by a bacterial infection deep in the lungs. It can strike suddenly, filling even the tiniest air passages with bacteria and fluid, starving the body of oxygen. I was relieved at the time to know that it wasn't something as serious as what he said it could have been. The doctor made this sound like really like routine, basically. He just said that it's walking pneumonia, she can take antibiotics, and she'll be better. Sarah returns to her dorm room with the antibiotics and a note excusing her from class. She spends the next two days trying to rest. I was just waiting for the drugs to kick in. I was still in a lot of pain, and my chest was still hurting a lot. Every time that I would move just like a slight bit, it would trigger that stabbing sensation all over again. After two days, the antibiotics are still not easing her pain. But Sarah desperately wants to return to her studies. She struggles through class and then joins her friend for the uphill walk back to their dorm. We both walked up the hill together. Usually it wasn't a problem, but we weren't even halfway when it was almost impossible for me to breathe. I was determined to see up the hill so that I could go back in the dorm room, but I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do it. I was panicking. It was as if I was trying to breathe through a straw. I was incredibly scared at that point. After three days on antibiotics, Sarah Kramer's pneumonia has not improved. Even walking up a small hill on campus is too much for her weakened lungs. Desperate for help, Sarah's friend flags down a passing vehicle that drives her back to the dorm. She fights on alone for six more days, but every gasp is a painful ordeal. I wanted to stay at school, but that was pretty much when I just broke down and called my mom. I could hear in her voice that she was scared. 
She said, Mom, can you come and get me? Nancy rushes her daughter back to the hospital in her hometown. A scan of her chest shows that whatever is causing the pneumonia has now spread to both of her lungs. That definitely scared me because I was on medication at that point. It didn't make sense to me why it had spread when it was supposed to be getting better. She was just drained. She was so drained from fighting so hard. Just breathing was hard. Lung disease expert Dr. Alan Brocard takes over Sarah's case. She was in a very critical condition. Sarah's breathing was getting very difficult and labored. She was anxious. She was uh, gasping for every breath. Her life was in danger. We were running out of time. When they told me how serious everything was, I really didn't believe them. I mean, I'm 19. It's too young. Desperate to identify the infection, Dr. Brocard orders up a battery of blood, urine, and sputum tests. Finally, a sputum test reveals that the danger is not a bacteria at all. The breakthrough diagnosis was the identification of a fungus that causes blastomycosis. Blastomycosis is caused by the fungus Blastomyces dermatitis. This mold infests the deepest, smallest air cavities in Sarah's lungs. There, the fungus feeds on nutrients and fluid present in her airways. It multiplies rapidly, forming a swelling colony. As the infection takes hold, the air cavities fill with mold and pus, suffocating Sarah from the inside. Many blastomyces infections are dealt with by the immune system without the need for medical intervention. But in some cases, the fungus can lie undetected in the lungs for months, and when the fungus spreads, it can overwhelm the host's immune system within weeks. Hearing that there was something inside her that was growing, it was just, it was mind-boggling. Blastomyces is a fungus, not a bacteria. So even though these organisms look very similar under a microscope, their biology is totally different. Antibiotics designed to kill a bacteria won't do anything against a fungus. To save Sarah's life, Dr. Brocard switches her to an antifungal medication called amphotericin. Unfortunately, it was late in the game and she continued to deteriorate. Unless we intervened, she would die from respiratory failure. Dr. Brocard has to place Sarah in a coma and insert a breathing tube down her throat. Sarah was in a life-threatening situation. We had no margin for error, and her risk of dying was close to 90%. They needed to put her on the uh, machine because she wasn't doing enough breathing on her own. It just kept getting worse and worse. College student Sarah Kramer is in a coma. The fungus Blastomyces is clogging her lungs. Dr. Brocard is relying on the antifungal medication Amphotericin to clear Sarah's infected lungs. Slowly, the drug turns the tide. 
We got a feeling that uh, Sarah would pull through maybe after a week when we saw that her oxygen requirement was going down. As the infection eases, the medics are able to take Sarah off life support and rouse the teenager. The nurses um, had said, you know what, if you want to bring in music and play music for Sarah, you're more than welcome to do that. And as she came out of the coma, she was shimming her shoulders. And I just started laughing. It was just like, oh my gosh. Just seeing that, I knew that she was going to be better. With Sarah conscious again, she and the doctors can try to trace the origin of the fungal infection. One potential source of the infection is a riverbank she visited for her favorite biology class. I told them that I had been down by the river and digging in the soil, and we were hoping to find different insects. The conditions were damp because it had just been raining a ton, and there's a lot of rotted wood. Because Blastomyces dermatitis mold typically grows on moist soil and rotten wood, it's here that doctors think Sarah could have inhaled its spores. The fungus Blastomyces is found throughout the central and southern U.S., including the Great Lakes and the Ohio Valley. Only around eight cases are recorded in the United States each year, but the infection also attacks a large number of household pets. Animals that search through the undergrowth with their noses to the ground are especially vulnerable to the Blastomyces spores. With the blastomycosis in retreat, Sarah's lungs slowly repair. She can at last return home. I'm, like, incredibly thankful to be here. I mean, like, beating the odds and everything. I think this experience has made her appreciate things a little more. It's an awareness for everyone in our family how precious life really is. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monsters inside me.